you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Last time we looked at several chapters, God willing, today we will look at just chapter 26, but I want you to see it in the context of what will follow because the chapters that follow also uh, carry out one of the main points that I'll be making today in this message, God willing. Deuteronomy chapter 26, this is God's word. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and live in it, take some of its, the first of all the land's produce that you harvest, from the land the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. When you come before the priest who is serving at that time, say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have entered the land the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest will take the basket from you and place it before the altar of the Lord your God. You are to respond by saying in the presence of the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien. There he became great, powerful, a great, powerful, and populous nation. But the Egyptians mistreated and oppressed us and forced us to do hard labor. So we called out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our cry and saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have now brought the first of the land's produce that you, Lord, have given me. You will then place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. You, the Levites and the resident aliens among you, will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. When you have finished paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, so that they may eat it in your towns and be satisfied. Then you will say in the presence of the Lord your God, I have taken the consecrated portion out of my house. I have also given it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, according to all the commands you gave me. I have not violated or forgotten your commands. I have not eaten any of it while in mourning, 
or removed any of it while unclean, or offered any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done all you commanded me. Look down from your holy dwelling, from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord your God is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances. Follow them carefully with all your heart and all your soul. Today, you have affirmed that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes, commands, and ordinances, and obey him. And today, the Lord has affirmed that you are his own possession, as he promised you, that you are to keep all his commands, that he will elevate you to praise, fame, and glory above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God, as he promised. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Two main points today, okay? The first point has to do with why we give. Why is giving a part of worship? Now, if you've been coming here more than one Sunday, uh, you have undoubtedly noticed that we have a liturgy. Uh, we have, it, it's not carved in stone, but we have a number of things that we do as part of the worship service. And one of the things that is not a part of our liturgy is passing the offering plate. Anybody notice that? Has anybody noticed that we don't pass the plate? Yeah. It's so nice when people come to me from time to time and say, how do we give? Okay? I, I love that. Now, the reason is not because we, we don't want anyone to give. <laughs> we want giving to come from the heart because God wants it to come from the heart. And Old and New Testament, that is made abundantly clear. Now, I think, done rightly, passing the plate as a joyous celebration of what God has done for us, and now we're giving back, that can be a great thing. I don't suggest that it's bad for churches to pass the offering plate. We're just trying to do what we believe God's led us to do. Okay? But, we need to consider why we give. Because the, the fact that we don't pass the plate doesn't mean people in this church don't give. This is a generous church. Why do we give? Why does Scripture say we should give? Well, the first reason is because God commands it. Okay? So reason number one as to why we give is obedience. We do it because God says this is part of how we worship. You worship by giving back to the Lord, recognizing that everything comes from Him, which leads us to our second point as to why we give. We give because we recognize that everything we have comes from God. Apart from God, we can't draw our next breath. We are entirely dependent on the one who holds the universe together by the word of His power. There would be no oxygen for us to breathe if it weren't for God. And so God teaches us to depend upon him because we do depend on him whether we know it or not. Every atheist 
is entirely dependent on God without recognizing it. They're just clueless about the blessing of God. And so that is illustrated when Jesus tells his disciples when they pray, they ought to say, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Were these guys totally devoid of resources and opportunities to make a living? No. These were guys who all had the ability to generate income. And yet, Jesus wanted them to know that no matter what you do for a living, you are dependent on God for your daily basic needs. But you see, we, we just don't tend to realize how blessed we are. And Jesus wants us to cultivate an attitude of dependence on him because that will lead to gratitude, which is the third reason we give. It's a way of expressing our thanks to God for the fact that he has provided everything we need and we are utterly dependent on him. Does that make sense? So that's reflected in this chapter where God is telling his people, when you get into the land that you're being given, don't miss that part, God is the one giving them this land and he's reassuring them, you're going to make it. They're going to face battles, they're going to have major enemies and God's saying, you're going to get there. You're going to arrive on the other side. Sometimes we, we don't seem to believe that. We don't seem to take seriously the fact that God has promised we're going to make it to the other side of the Jordan. One day, every tear is going to be wiped away. And you and I need to realize that on the journey, we need to be giving thanks. We need to be showing that we know we're depending on Him. And we show that through obedience. And we show it with dependence and gratitude. You are listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. Pastor Wood is a popular speaker for family and marriage retreats, conferences, and pro-life fundraisers. If you are planning an event, a retreat, or conference, and would like to invite Pastor Wood to speak or teach, please visit wvr.org and fill out our speaker request form. At this site, you'll also find over a dozen books authored by Pastor Wood and his wife, Susan. Again, please visit wvr.org today. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is Now, as they brought their offerings, God told them not only when to do it and where to do it, and as we've said before, it's very important to realize when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you take possession of it and live in it, take some of the first of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land the Lord your God is giving you, put it in a basket, then go to the place, go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. Because God had already chosen the place where he had sent Abraham with his son Isaac to offer him up. And then it provided a substitute so that Isaac didn't have to die. 
Folks, that, as we've said before, is the place where Jesus died. That's why God chose that place. Before the foundation of the world, God already had laid out the plan as to how he would redeem his people. And so, God says, you take it there. And then when you get there, this is what you're to do, and this is what you are to say. Which brings me to point number two. The value in prescribed prayers. The value in prescribed prayers. I'll tell you a prayer that I didn't learn as a little child in our home, because dad would say the prayers before the meal, and dad would just talk with the Lord before the meal. And so I grew up hearing my dad praying before the meal, and he didn't say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, by his hands we all are fed, thank you Lord for daily bread. Variant is, give us Lord our daily bread. Okay? But when I began to have meals at some of my friends' houses, I discovered that some of them didn't pray before the meal, some of them would call on me to pray before the meal, and some of them would say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And I thought that was kind of cheesy. But I decided after a while, it really beats not praying before the meal. At least these folks have found a way to express some things. And let's think about it for a moment. Is it good when you pray to affirm that God is great and that God is good? And should we be thanking him for our food and acknowledging that by his hand, we all are fed? Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. So when I first heard that prayer, I thought it was kind of cheesy. As I got older, I began to realize that's really not a bad prayer. Okay? The problem with rote prayers is that some people say the words without really processing the meaning. And if you don't mean what you say, then it's not honest prayer and it's not valuable worship. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Now, I bring this up and sort of belabor the point, first of all, because here in this chapter, God gives his people a lengthy prayer that they're to pray to him. Now, this is much longer than the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. It's really the believer's prayer. But I bring this up because there's a controversy in certain segments of the body of Christ right now, some really precious people, some of my good friends who are telling folks, do not lead people in a sinner's prayer. When you're doing evangelism, don't do that. Now why? Why would they say such a thing? Because there are tons of people who having been led in a prayer many of them children, are then told, ah, now you're a Christian. Okay? You prayed that prayer, now you're a Christian. Don't ever doubt it. You have passed from death to life. You're going to heaven. If anything were to happen to you, you're going to be fine. 
all is well. And then a lot of those kids and teens and even adults go on in later years to show zero evidence of having passed from death to life. The Bible says that we'll know them by their fruit. And so there are people who've been led in a prayer and then told, because you prayed that prayer, you're saved. Well, that's just not correct. Just saying words in order to try and please an authority figure doesn't save anybody. It's not a magical incantation. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But people who just say words without really believing it, without really trusting. Here, in this passage, it says, The Lord is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances. Follow them carefully with all your heart and all your soul. Did you get that? It's got to come from within, or it's not valid. So, my response to those folks, precious brothers in Christ, my response to them is to say, you know, I live in a county that does the second most number of weddings of any county in the U.S. Las Vegas is number one. Sevier County is number two. Did you know that? And if you look at the divorce rate in America, it's very obvious that a whole lot of people take vows and don't stay true to those vows. So here's my proposed solution, and I'm about to be sarcastic, but this is what I tell my friends. I am proposing we need to stop doing weddings where we lead people in saying, you know, do you take this person to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to um, love her, keep her? All that, that's just bad. That's, that's the reason for all the divorce in America. Okay? It's because people have been led to say things and then told, I now pronounce you husband or wife. As if just standing there in front of other people and saying things that they're told to say, that they're led in saying, makes them husband and wife. I think we need to stop doing weddings and stop having vows and just let everybody really kind of work it out for themselves. Okay. Wouldn't that solve our problem with divorce in this country? No, it would not. But that's the same thing my dear friends are trying to do by getting rid of the sinner's prayer. It's suggesting that if you lead someone in saying something, that invalidates what they say. And that is not true. It's not even intelligent. And these guys are intelligent people. If we were to follow their approach, we'd have to say that the reason for prayerlessness in America's churches is because Jesus messed up by giving us the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus said, this is what I want you to say. If Jesus did that with something like prayer, isn't it okay for us to suggest, for a person who wants to know what to say, you could say this. Now, if you give that person the idea 
that all you've got to do is recite these lines and bingo, you're in, you have misled them. And likewise, if you're sharing your faith with someone and they come to the point where they want to be saved. I remember my dear friend Pete Havens on Cape Cod who came to church week after week because his wife wanted him to. And one weekday as I was visiting in his home, I was talking with him about the Lord. and I mean, he'd heard the gospel over and over and over. But all of a sudden, boom, the light went on. Suddenly you could see this guy is suddenly getting it. Tears came to his eyes and he said, so what you're saying is this? And I said, that's right. And he said, so then this? And I said, that's right. And he said, well, then I need to give my life to Jesus. Now, when a person has been regenerated by God's Spirit, born again, and they see the kingdom of God, it is totally legitimate to lead them in a prayer that affirms those things which God says in his word. And this is an example of that in Deuteronomy 26. God says, when you come to offer your first fruits to me, this is what you are to say. And it's a long prayer. And God says, I don't just want you to say something along these lines. God said, say this. And then, say this. And in the chapters that follow, God is going to have the whole congregation say this. You're to say this, and then you're to say this, and then you're to say this, and then you're to say this. We're not looking at those chapters this week, but I want you to look ahead and see that that is indeed what's coming. God is going to prescribe certain things for his people to say. Which brings up one last point that was not one of the, not one of the two points, but it's still worth bringing up. Many people over the years have come to me and they've said, I'm not sure that I'm really a Christian because I'm not sure that I prayed the right prayer. I'm not sure I said the right thing. Well, let me tell you, nobody is a Christian because they said the right thing. He saves us. If you read John chapter 3, it does not tell you what you need to do in order to be born again. It says unless you're born again, you can't even perceive the kingdom of God. Unless God regenerates you, gives you a new heart, takes away the heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh, unless that happens, you don't recognize who Jesus is and how desperately you need him. If your confidence this morning is in what you prayed or how sincere you were or what you've done, your confidence is in the wrong place. But if your confidence is in Jesus... If you know he's your only hope. So I would plead with you as God's word teaches me I should do. Trust Jesus. Cry out to him for salvation. Ask him to give you new life. 
Well, why would you do that? Why would you ask someone to do that if God's the one who has to do the saving? Because God tells us to do that. And what's the first reason why we give? Obedience. And what is the value of using prayers that are ancient? Obedience. Why do we rehearse and recite familiar songs and familiar scriptures? Because God tells us that is one of the things He wants us to do in order to worship Him. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.